Is it possible that the loose change you find underneath a couch cushion could actually be a demonic temptation? And then we meet a man who has a curious problem. We've all heard of the expression, can you lend me a hand? But what happens when that hand doesn't leave you alone? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a ton of stuff to cover today. So first off, welcoming back yesterday's Patreon supporter into Dead Rabbit Man. Everyone give a warm round of applause for Asphalt. Woohoo, yeah, wee, yeah, wee, hee, hee, walking on into Dead Rabbit Command. Asphalt didn't get the opportunity to fly the Carpenter Copter yesterday, so we're bringing him back. Yesterday was a little wonky, it was a little weird. It was a good episode. Hope you guys like that story of my father's personal vendetta for his son's honor. Asphalt, let's go ahead and get things started. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. Oh, I do want to say, if you're not a Patreon supporter, that's okay. It really is. I say that all the time, and I mean it every time. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That's a way you can totally help the show grow. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can join the Patreon Discord to get ad-free episodes, as well as join us on the Patreon monthly movie night. And one more time, I want to welcome everyone, Patreon or not, to the live stream this Friday, June 23rd on YouTube at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's available for everyone. It's our five-year anniversary live stream. So if you guys want to jump on, we're going to talk about stuff, ask me questions. It should be a ton of fun. So I hope to see everybody there for our five-year live stream anniversary special. Asphalt, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the bunny bicycle. Everyone climb on the handlebars as Asphalt BMXs us all the way out, too. England. Wika, wika, wika. Wika, wika, wika. We don't know an exact neighborhood for this story. We do know, though, that it took place in 2012. We're about to meet this young family that lives in a small little house somewhere in England. And this family consists of four people. You have Sally, the mother, and she has two young children, Emma and Zach. The children's father, Barry, is away on a business trip. Now, I don't know if any of these names are real. Uh, This was posted online, and they said it happened to a friend of theirs, so she may have made up these names. (laughs) Don't go walking around England going, Barry, how's your wife Sally? Thinking you'll find out more about this. You probably have an easier time just emailing the person who posted the story online. Sally, Emma, Zach, and the father, Barry. Now, Barry is away on work. A lot of times his work takes him out of the area. So Sally spends a lot of time alone with their two young children. And this is a Muslim family. And that faith plays an important role in this story. Well, Sally has these two kids. She's taking care of the house, doing what she needs to do to protect doing what she needs to do to raise her kids. One day she's cleaning, cleaning the house, and she finds some loose change 
It's a couple pence, a shilling or two, maybe. And she's like, hmm, interesting. Um, but not not so peculiar that it raises any alarm bells. We'll always find change everywhere. In fact, yesterday I was looking around for some loose change and uh, found a bunch on my floor that I had previously not seen. It happens. I hope, right? People are like, no, Jason, you're possessed by a demon too. I'm like, ah, we all find change. Sometimes we have to really dig for it, right? Sometimes we're flipping over couch cushions to find quarters or lifting up carpets. If, if we're really desperate, we're pulling up carpet tacks. We're like, I know a penny rolled under here at some point. But we usually find loose change. So when Sally found some loose change cleaning up, she didn't really pay it any mind. But when the kids start finding loose change all over the house, now Sally's a little puzzled. Because your kids aren't doing cleaning. They're just like wandering around the house. They go, Mama, Mama, look what I found. I found two pence and a shilling. She's like, what? And then Zach waddles by. He's a bit younger. And he goes, Mama, me found this metal stuff. I don't know if he's an idiot. I think, I think if you can talk, you know what a coin is. He's like, what is this? Why this is spooky? Well, it is spooky. And Sally starts to realize it's spooky because they're finding loose change all over the house. Now, the kids are super excited. They go, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. We can buy so much candy with all... I mean, they're finding... It's not like they are just finding one or two coins. They're finding a lot of coins around the house. And Sally's like, there's not that much loose change. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. She's checking her pockets. She's like, I don't have holes in my pockets. How, where's all this change coming from? The kids are like, take us to the store. They're basically like holding a little revolution. Take us to the store right now. We have all this money. We want to buy candies and ice cream. And Sally starts being like, this is super weird. But again, is it odd or is it alarming? Well, as these kids can, at this point, the kids are probably like tearing apart couch kitchens. They're like, there has to be change somewhere. They're finding so much of it. And then one day Sally is cleaning up. And her kids run into the room and they go, Mommy, Mommy, look what we found. And they're each holding bills. Notes is what they call them in Britain. The kids are holding 20-pound notes. That's a lot of ice cream. <laughs> That's a lot of ice cream, right? And Sally's like, something's definitely not right here. Because now the kids, you, everyone loses change, but not many people loses 20 bucks. And the kids don't just find it once. They continue to find 20-pound notes and 50-pound notes laying about the house. And at this point, Sally realizes something's up. She calls her husband at this point. She goes, hey, um, I didn't bother you when we found a bunch of coins in the house. But now we're finding notes. We're finding 20-pound, 50-pound notes in the house. Do you know anything what's going on? Is this some weird thing that you're doing? Is this some, like, weird scavenger hunt you created? And Dad's like, what? No. Dad's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Sally goes, there has to be something going on here. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm alarmed. She scours the house. She continues to find bills. Paper bills throughout the house. of very high denominations. She's looking around. She gets them all. And what she does is she takes them and the ones her kids found. Throws them in the garbage. Because although this is legit money. It's not toy money. It's not counterfeit money. 
Sally now realizes that her husband has nothing to do with this. She doesn't know what's going on. She's the only person in the house who would have access to that type of currency, that type, that, that amount of currency to begin with. This might be a spiritual issue. And I just want to get rid of it. And the money stops appearing in the house. No more bills, no more coins, nothing. A couple days after that, not too long after that, kids are at school and Sally is at home doing her, uh, you know how in the Muslim tradition you have to pray five times a day. She's doing her, the prayer. She's doing one of the, the prayers during the day. And she has her mat laid out and the mats, have they have to pray towards Mecca. She has the mat laid out in a very specific direction and she completes the prayer. She folds up her prayer mat, goes upstairs. Later in the day, she comes back downstairs. And not only is her prayer mat unfolded, it's facing away from Mecca. It's not in the right direction that you would put it in if you were using it. And now Sally's super concerned because she knows her kids didn't do it right. Her kids are at school. She was the only one home. And with everything that's going on and now this blasphemous act, she realizes that things... There, there, there's a serious problem at the house. Now Sally, it's, it's funny because Sally has this thing in the back of her head telling her that this is a spiritual problem. These things are related. The money that we found and now my prayer mat being unfolded and laid in the wrong position. And nobody could have done it. These things have to be related. But she still at this point does not take that. She does not alert her husband. She does not take the step to contact the local Amman. The spiritual leader at the mosque where she could say, hey, I think there's some something going on at my house. And I think that is what most people would do. Because in at the end of the day... We covered a story a while back about a man and a woman and their kids lived in a house in Hawaii and there was a maniac in the attic of the house who was watching them sleep and he would come down at night and he would rearrange stuff and unfold clothing and eat their food and all this stuff. And the wife kept going, something's wrong, something's wrong. And the husband saw the husband saw his silhouette standing behind a curtain and was like, oh, that's just a neighbor checking in on us. The husband was wrong. There really was a maniac up there. But there is an instinct to not overreact. If she called up her husband and she said, hey, I think something paranormal is happening. And he's at work. He's not in the area. And he's like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, I found currency and then my prayer mat was unfolded. He, He might go, well, you know, you know, that's kind of the normal reaction, right? Maybe he just wants to calm her down. Maybe he wasn't there. He wasn't there. He didn't experience it. Over the period of time. So he'd just be like, honey, no, I don't think it's anything. Just, you know, whatever. And so a lot of times people won't say things because they don't want to seem like they're overreacting. So it's actually a pretty normal response. But at a certain point, you have to realize it's time to get the professionals involved. It is time to call the Amon and it's time to get some spiritual advice. And that time came when Sally can no longer reject the idea that this had paranormal, that this whole thing had a paranormal origin. Because one night she woke up at two in the morning. She's alone in her bedroom. She wakes up at two in the morning and standing in the darkness of her room, 
she sees a short little man standing there. She said he was jet black. Blacker than black. So dark that you could see it in a room with the lights off. That level of darkness. And this short little man was just standing there. Standing next to her bed. Looking right at her. While he was smiling. And clapping. Huge sinister smile on his face. She freaked out. She screamed out loud and the figure completely disappeared. She ran into her kid's room. Woke them up. I don't know (laughs) how much she told them. Oh my god, there's a little tiny goblin man in the bedroom. Or she goes, hey kids, I'm sleeping with you today. Uh, We're having a a sleepover, but don't expect me to sleep. I'll be standing by the door with a baseball bat. Now she knows something paranormal is going on. The next day she calls her Amon and he goes, What I think you have in your house is a djinn. We've done a lot of episodes on the djinn. The easiest explanation is that they're the uh, Islamic version of a demon, but it's actually far more complicated than that. I'll put some episodes in the show notes, but that's kind of the best corollary. He goes, you got a djinn. He goes, um, you got to get rid of it. <laughs> also, this thing is uh, pretty nasty. They can be. They can be pretty vicious. What it almost was like is the money was... By taking the money, they invited... They gave the gin permission to stay. Super sinister way to look at it, right? Because who's going to turn down money if a little tiny short jet black creepy little creature who appeared outside your door smiling and clapping said could i come in you'd be like absolutely not you may not play with the ouija board you may not do charlie charlie or any of this stuff but you start finding loose change around your house and you take it you're not thinking anything of it but it was his basically he bribed his way into their home it was a contract that they didn't even know they were signing When they took the money, they were saying, welcome. Super sinister. Super terrifying concept. And and he said, he goes, what I need you to do is go home. The Iman said, I need you to go home and read this specific surah, which is like a chapter or verse from the Quran. And so she did. And that night, she goes, hey, kids, I got an idea. None of us are going to sleep in our rooms. So we're all going to sleep in the living room. It'll be like a camp out. It'll be so fun. They're like, Mom, why are you sweating so heavily? Why are you openly sobbing and looking outside as the sun sets, fearing the coming darkness? She's like, forget about all that stuff, kids. Get ready for a camp out. They're like, can we eat those snacks we bought with all that money? She's like, no. You guys weren't even supposed to spend that. Where'd you spend that at? Ah. Sure enough, night falls. They're all sleeping together in the living room. Sally wakes up in the middle of the night. And hears a...
She looks up and she sees the same figure, the jet black short figure with a wide malicious smile staring at her while clapping. And she wakes the kids up and she's like, kids, kids, I probably should have rehearsed this. They're like, what? Mom, I got school tomorrow. What's going on? She's like, I probably should have told you guys about this. But there is a <laughs> look over there. That she didn't prepare her kids for any of this, by the way. Wake up, wake up. There's this gin. There's this guy. He's been giving us money. And then uh, he's been, he showed up last night. I didn't tell you about that either. And they're like, ah. And she's like, I need you guys to do something. Read this Sirah. Read this passage from the Holy Quran right now. Because they're like, <laughs> kids are flipping through. And they're like, this one? She's like, yes, read it. And the little gin guy is just looking at her clapping. And she goes, kids, read that. Read that passage. And. And she looks over and both of her children are speechless. Literally speechless. She's seeing them look down at the Quran, trying to mouth the words, trying to say the passage, but they can't. Their voices don't work. They've been silenced. And the djinn just stood there. Smiling and clapping. And then he vanished. The next day. <laughs> it, says on, it says in the notes the next day. I'm pretty sure it was the next couple minutes. She called up her husband and says, you need to come home right now. And she called up the Amman and said, you need to get over here as soon as you can. I can't order you around like I can my husband. But uh, at your earliest convenience, I would really uh, recommend this. Whatever here is so powerful, we weren't even able to read out loud from the Quran. So the dad did. He's like, I don't know what work he does, but he's like, at the office, he's at the office on the other side of the country. He's like, hey, guys, I got to go home. Uh, my wife, uh, <laughs> I don't really want to say what she said out loud. Uh, I don't think she's crazy because later on I got a call from the Amman saying, yeah, I need to get back there. Um, but let's just say if I uh, come back and I'm floating around, if I come back and I have demonic powers, um, that I probably gotten possessed. <laughs> that sounds like I'm going into a real minefield when I head back home. So the dad leaves work early, whatever job he was on. He comes back home early and the Amman comes to the house. and. He took care of it. The situation got took care of. Now, this was written online by someone who goes by the name Independent Wind 6199. And apparently, it got taken care of. Apparently, this after the Amon showed up and the husband showed up, the Amon took care of it. The husband was mostly there for emotional support. And the jinn was not seen again. The Amon basically said, you know, this house has been cleared. It's not going to bug you anymore. But Sally, who, who's the one who told this story to the person who posted it? The person who posted it is someone known as Independent Wind 6199 And she said, I heard this story from Sally herself. She goes, even though the Amon said that the menace had been dissipated, that they had gotten rid of this they it retracted the invitation she's like we got to sell this house 
we got to sell this house. I don't feel comfortable here. I want to leave. I want to leave. I want to leave. So they actually did have to move because of this. And to this day, she has severe anxiety, even just thinking about being left home alone. She can't even handle the thought. She's afraid that this gin will come back. It's an interesting story on multiple levels. Like, I really like the story. One, obviously, the imagery is really creepy. Um, there's a lot of ghosts may appear at the foot of the bed. Um, usually, they just stand there. Maybe they'll walk through a wall. It's another thing to wake up and see something relishing in your despair. I mean, this little guy was having a lot of fun. The clapping and the smiling. I mean, just the smiling alone, right? That's the last thing you want to see some demonic entity do is smile at you because you know it has ill intent. But the clapping, again, so it's theatrical, right? It, it was, it, was it clapping its hands in glee? Was it clapping because it was enjoying the show, enjoying the anguish that it was causing? Did it just like clapping? Was it trying to turn on her lights by clapping on and off? We won't know, but it definitely is creepy. And then also I like this story because we have not just the dynamic visuals of it, but also the long-term ramifications. Because the story took place in 2012. It was just posted this year. So now we're talking, you know, 10, 11 years later. Sally is still traumatized by this event. And it shows the long-term ramifications of having a paranormal event that directly happened to you. Other, you know, we have a lot of lovely paranormal events. We lose someone that's very close to us and then we see them in our dreams or they come to us at night and they say, you know, don't worry about me. I'm doing better on the other side. Those are great, uplifting paranormal events. But having a demon invade your house uh, under really, really flimsy circumstances, by the way, because we're always finding this money and um, being able to block your voice we've covered we've run into i've personally run into ghosts like that spirits like that but to think about it that you're reading from your holy book what's supposed to protect you and your voice can't come out that's super traumatizing it's terrifying and then i mean just like the vulnerability of it all and the feeling has not gone away. I know a lot of people, I run into them all the time and I see people post online, oh, man, I just wish that I could have a paranormal event happen to me. I'd love that. You, you, I mean, yeah, if you get one of the good ones, right? But if you get something like this, it, it, could, it could obviously give you PTSD, which I'm now going to dub para, paranormal traumatic stress disorder. It could affect you. And... I mean, something as simple as one day walking to your house and being like, oh, look at I found 50 cents on the floor. That, that, that's cool. Like now that that alone would be a terrifying reminder and possibly not just a reminder for Sally, but she may think this gin is coming back. This gin is trying to find its way back into the home. So she would constantly be on the lookout for money as well. I mean, like th th it sounds like she's pretty messed up. It sounds like she's pretty psychologically messed up from this. And hopefully it gets better, but could you let your guard down if something as innocuous as finding coins underneath your couch pushing and being like, oh, cool, and putting them in your pocket could be inviting in a dark spirit that delights in your misery and pain. Terrifying, terrifying story. Asphalt, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the world famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind England. Fly us all the way out to 
Australia, mate. We're headed all the way out to Australia. The year is 2022, and we're going to meet a young man. He didn't post his real name, so we're going to call him Bruce. Back in 2022, Bruce said that he was over at a friend's house, just hanging out, kicking back, talking, doing friend stuff. And while Bruce is at this house hanging out, he's sitting there and he's looking down the hallway and he sees, reaching out of one of the doors lining the hallway, a hand. It's just out of the corner of the eye. He's just seeing it out of the corner of his eye. And when he turns to look, he watches the hand pull itself back into the room. Doesn't think anything of it, though. I mean, okay, he's... Goes back to talking to his friends. And he... It catches him off guard because all of his friends are in the living room right now. He's talking to everyone who's supposed to be in this house, but he clearly saw a hand poke out of that room. Now, here's the thing. It didn't magically appear. It didn't magically disappear. He notices it, and then when he looks, it moves out of his field of vision. It's not like it blinked away. And, and it, uh, What? Okay, and he thinks that they must have been pulling a prank on him. The good old, <laughs> good old, my friend can teleport into a room without me noticing. I turn to look at his hand, and when I turn back, he's back in the living room prank. Like, I don't know what that was. He really wouldn't have paid it any mind if it wasn't for the events that plagued him for the next year and a half, up until the time that he posted this in June 2023. He goes once or twice a week. Doesn't matter where I'm at. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. Once or twice a week for the past year and a half, I see the hand. He goes, it's always the same. It's always behind something. So it's as if I'm seeing the hand from the wrist up, but the rest of the arm is hidden behind something. He goes, it's never just a hand floating in midair. It's not really even a hand in a place where an arm would be inaccessible. It's as if someone was in a position and they were sticking their hand out so I could see it out of the corner of my eye. He goes, it's the same thing. I always see the hand peeking out from behind somewhere in the corner of my eye. It catches my attention. I turn to look and the hand moves back behind the wall, behind the bush, behind the garbage can, whatever. He said that when the hand pops out, it gets his attention. Other than just seeing a, he describes it as a Caucasian adult male hand, is how he describes it. You have that he sees this hand pop out. It's not just that the hand is doing nothing. It's that it begins to open and close itself. So you, if you make a, if, if you're driving right now, keep your hands on the steering wheel. But everyone else can do this. 
hold up your hand like you have... You don't have to do this. You can be like, Jason, I can't picture what you're doing. I have an imagination. You're holding your hand out so your fingers are all extended like you're counting to five, like you're at the number five, and then you close them into your palm. So now you have a fist, and then you open them up again, make a fist, open them up again, make a fist. He said it reminded him of that Faith No More video, Epic. In the beginning, he goes, there was no eyeball in the in the hand and there was no guitar riffs going on you want it all but you can't have it these the hands opening and closing it's a fire a beat a dead of a duck a dead of a duck now i'm super confused now i have to stop the podcast what are you talking about? Are you possessed? Did you pick up any loose change? You, you just said you did at the beginning of this episode. It's a fire. A kaya. A da-da-da-ba. You want it all. Anyway, so he described it like that. But he just said it was like the music video. He didn't try saying the lyrics. He goes, it, it, it appears in the peripheral vision. And it starts to open and close itself, so it gets my attention. Like, if I just see the hand there, I might not notice it. But because it's opening and closing, it's the movement that makes me look over and I see this hand. It happens once or twice a week. From behind a wall or over a table, open, close, open, close. And he turns to look and it's gone. But again, this is such a creepy visual that it doesn't disappear. It moves out of his field of view. As if someone is behind the couch, opening and closing their hand, and he turns and he looks and he watches it slither down the back of the couch. That's terrifying. Like, again, talk about dynamic visuals. That, that, that's very creepy. That's what you normally don't have. A lot of times these things just disappear. In the last story, she screamed and the figure just disappeared. He didn't go, sorry, my love, see you tomorrow. And then he, like, walks out the room clapping. And he goes, listen, here's the thing. I've never played with a Ouija board. I've never been into anything like that. I remember now, like looking back, he goes, the only thing I can think of is I was at my friend's house when I first saw it. And he doesn't even really make a connection. He's not saying like, maybe I caught it from my friend or maybe there was some sort of demonic presence there or anything like that. He just doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what it is. And this is another thing. Like, it would be hard, like we were talking about in the last story, for him to go back and talk to his friends and be like, hey, man, that was a cool party you had a year and a half ago, but I got to talk to you about the hand that's been following me. His friend may actually have some possible answers for him, but you have to overcome the ridicule factor to even bring that up. His friend may know exactly what's going on. But um, you would have to then admit for the past year and a half you've been seeing this hand. And, and what's funny is that we've we've done a couple different stories this week about mental illness. And I was going to have, this was supposed to be on yesterday's episode, the Crazy Catherine episode. And I was going to kind of package it in. We've done stories about mental illness this week. This one I don't think is a mental illness. I think this one is actually a paranormal event going on. Because sometimes the lines, sometimes it's clearly a mental illness. Sometimes the lines are blurry and sometimes you're like, no, as a paranormal researcher, I think this guy's actually experiencing some sort of phenomenon. Could be wrong. I can't diagnose him, but that's just, that's my take on it. And he goes, here's the problem. This is really the problem. You may go... Bruce, you know, every so often you see a hand reaching from beyond the limits of reality. But 
really? I mean, is it that terrifying? Is it that bad? Well, he goes, he, at first it was a little unnerving. First it was unnerving, but now it's becoming downright dangerous. Because what, it can appear at any time, once or twice a week, it started appearing while I'm driving. He said, I'll be driving on the road and got my eyes, you know, looking ahead. And then from, he goes, the way it's set up, I don't know what side of the steering wheel is on Australian cars, but he goes, I'll be driving down the road and out the corner of my eye in my car, I'll see the hand reaching through the gap between the passenger seat and the passenger door. And he goes, it's like as if someone is laying down in the back seat of my car and sticking their arm through that little gap so all I can see is from the wrist up. And the hand begins to open and close, open and close, open and close, open and close. And I'm seeing this out of my peripheral. And he goes, it's so shocking, even though it happens once or twice a week, it's so unnerving, it's so terrifying that you can't help but look at it. And when I'm driving, it's super distracting. <laughs> it's super distracting. There's a phantom hand in my car. And I turn and I look. I take my eyes off the road and then I see the hand slip away in that gap between the passenger seat and the passenger door. And then I got to put my eyes on the road again real quick. He said it started happening a lot while I'm driving. He still sees it in other places, but it's happening more often while he's driving. And he goes, it's distracting. It's very dangerous. It takes my eyes off the road. It's so scary. And I'm afraid I'm going to get in an accident. Like, I, he doesn't really, he doesn't really ascribe any intent to it. I think he definitely thinks it's at the very least joking, trying to pull up again, a prank. But I think the, I think he's starting to realize that the malevolent factor could be ramping up on this thing because he goes, it does seem like it's trying to distract me while I'm driving to the point that now when I have to go driving, when I have to drive somewhere, I start to get nervous just thinking about driving. Because I'm afraid the hand's going to show up. You can't ignore it. It's a hand that shouldn't exist attached to an invisible body. You can't just be like, turn up the radio and just keep listening to music. <laughs> Faith No More comes on. You're like, oh no, it's the worst song. It's the worst song possible with this experience. The hand is just going to keep getting your attention until you look over. And it's so shocking you're going to look over anyways. I don't think, I don't think I, he's never said I let it go for a minute once. And he goes, takes my eyes off the road to the point now where I'm, I get a sense of dread whenever it's time to start driving somewhere because I'm afraid the hand's going to show up. Now, it doesn't show up every time he drives. It only shows up again once or twice a week, but he's afraid it's going to make him get in an accident. He's afraid... Something really bad is going to happen to him, and it's going to be all the hand's fault. You know what's funny is we did an episode years ago. This, I think, was probably in the first two or three seasons about the hairy hands of Dartmoor, Dartmouth or whatever, some place in England, where these hairy hands supposedly were appearing in people's cars and kind of shaking the steering wheel, making them get in car accidents. 
And that was a story that over time people have said, no, the road's just <laughs> it's just a poorly maintained road that's kind of conical in shape. And so cars do tend to veer from the right to the left. There are a lot of accidents on that road, but other people are like, yeah, it's a bad road. It's an, it really needs to get fixed. But I myself have seen the hairy hands. You've seen you've had reports like that, specifically hairy hands in cars causing car accidents. We covered a story not too long ago. I think it was just last season about in Mexico, there's a very common variation of the boogeyman. That's just these green hairy hands. Sometimes they're white, sometimes they're black. But they're monstrous hands. They're not human. He goes, this is the hand of a Caucasian male. He goes, it's always the left hand, too. He's able to identify that. He goes, it's always the same hand. Which, again, is just such a bizarre and honestly more creepy detail. If he was seeing different hands, different people's hands, different hands from different, um, you know, orientations as far as, like, is it the left or is it the right, I may clock it up more to he's hallucinating. But this feels like an entity doing something to him on purpose. In Mexico, they had the hands that they would chase kids around and they would try to pull kids out of their bed. It was just a disembodied hand that were, was attacking children. It's a variation of the boogeyman story in Mexico. And he goes, listen, I've never been chased by this hand. I'm, I'm, he's kind of fearing the day. He's afraid that the behavior is ramping up. He says, I don't want to get chased by this thing. And in that sense, I think he's kind of lucky that it does seem to be stabilized behind a corner or a place that he can't see the rest of it. But what a crazy, creepy story. Because what the monstrous hand, the hands of Dartmoth or Dartmoor, whatever those were, I'll put those episodes in the show notes. They were disembodied hands. The, the hands in Mexico, they were disembodied hands. We've covered other stories about, I remember, I don't know if I can find this episode, it was so long ago. A girl was taking a shower one day and she had a like one of those frosted windows in her bathroom that looked out into the apartment stairwell. And she, it was like a seven or eight feet tall, high window. You had to be so tall. And she saw a pale hand kind of waving at her while she was taking a shower and then it slid down the wall. That's the closest I could think to, to this guy's story. But she only saw it, if I remember correctly, the one time. This guy's been seeing it consistently for a year and a half. And what is this thing? Like, now we're in the paranormal world that it, we don't have much to go off of. It's not a disembodied hand. It's a hand where the rest is hidden. So that implies that there's something else we can't see. And the imagination is the most terrifying thing of all. That's actually not true. <laughs> there's a lot of terrifying things that are real. And what you can imagine just makes it more terrifying. Like, what does the rest of this thing look like? But, uh, yeah, how, how do you deal with this? Is this some sort of... I, I, I've coined the term psychic landmines. I think that there are things out there that we can accidentally trigger going to locations that these things can attach to us. It could be something like that. It could be just a run-of-the-mill ghost. But, again, the what it's doing is not very ghost-like. could be a demon, but, it, I mean, but again, like, I don't know. I don't know what this thing could be. It doesn't really, yeah, yeah demons do like to delight in, in fear and terror. They also, they also tend to have a timetable. They're not like, oh, yes, and it'll take 10 years of waving before I move on to step two. Like, usually they just kind of want to ruin your life, get you addicted to some substance, get you to become a total a-hole, and 
elevate your existing anger issues, elevate your existing depression, stuff like that. Possess you if they can. So I don't know what this thing is. And I mean, my advice would be to speak to a spiritual leader and that might give you a step up. That might give you some idea. But again, I think they would default to, you know, this is a, a demon. This is something in your life that's been attached to you, but it might not fall into such a neat and tidy category. It could be tons of different things. It could be a phenomenon we don't even really know about yet. It could be something that we're just not aware of. There are stories like this out there, but they're incredibly rare. The hands that are chasing kids in Mexico, I think that is probably a cross between a cryptid and a demon. It's probably somewhere in that. The hairy hands of Dartmoor, which are caught trying to get you killed in a car accident, is a demon or a cryptid type event. But I don't know what this is. I have no idea what this is. I mean, it's weird. It's just so creepy. And, you know, again, like as I'm telling the story, the what my mind keeps going back to is he keeps turning his head. Like take the car ride, for example. He's driving the car, he sees the hand, he turns and he sees the hand slide back behind the car seat. You know more than once he's checked the back seat. He's looked back there and seen that it was completely empty. He didn't see a adult Caucasian man laying across the back seat. It was just empty. But honestly, to me, I think the more terrifying possibility is you're driving down the road you see the hand it's making the open close motion you turn you see it's lie behind the seat and you turn and you look and you do see the man laying there in the back of your car he's looking up at you I don't know why, but for whatever reason, the image of that, the image of seeing this whole human, to me, it, it honestly just, it, that fills me with a bit of dread. This is one of those stories where he's probably, I don't know why. I don't know why, right? I'm not saying that he looks back there and he sees himself from the future. It's like, I've been trying to get your attention. I'm not saying he looks back and he sees some horrendous beast straight from the latest creepypasta. I just find the idea, I don't know why that fills me with a sense of dread. Like if he turned his head fast enough, he could actually see whatever it is actually laying in the back seat of his car. And I feel like he's not supposed to see it. As much as this thing's trying to get his attention, as much as this thing has been tormenting him for a year and a half, it's something that he either needs to get professional help with or deal with it. When he sees the hand, just look over calmly, it slides away, and then go about your business. I feel that if this man, we call him Barry, he posted online under the name Unhappy Weekend, which might actually be the most apt name, Unhappy Weekend 7244. 
I feel that if he actually does turn his head fast enough and look into that back seat, he'll see the entire entity. He'll finally get a glimpse of not just the hand, but this entire thing, its whole body. He'll see its face. He'll see its form. He'll see every detail about this creature if he turns his head fast enough. And to me, that almost feels like forbidden knowledge. He's not supposed to see the rest of it. But I don't know. I mean, again, this is one of those stories that doesn't neatly fit into the world of the paranormal. And that's what makes it even more terrifying. It's one thing to have something in your house and you're able to consult with your religious leader. And he goes, oh, that's a gin. This is how you take care of it. I will help you take care of it. There's a tidy bow at the end of that story. Even though Sally suffered lasting psychological problems from that. It's over. A story like this that doesn't fit in a neat little box. There's no, as far as we know, easy remedy. We don't know what it is. We don't know how to stop it. We don't know what it wants. We don't know how to avoid it. We don't even know if we want to know more information about it. This might be something that the more you know, the more dangerous it becomes. The more you see of it, the more you lose your grip on reality. If you don't know what it is, how do you stop it? But conversely, by the time you discover what it is, what is truly behind the hand, Will it be too late? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.